Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Into Hokie Hangover Podcast. My name is Mike McDaniel, joined by Ricky LeBlue. We're presented by Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg here to recap Virginia Tech's third consecutive home loss. Hokies dropped to three and four on the year, one and two in ACC play, falling 41 to 36 at the hands of Syracuse. Hokies blew a nine point lead, second time in three games. They've blown a lead of eight points or more with less than four minutes to play. Ricky. What do we got? What's going on? Well, first of all, how are you? Let's start there. How are you? <laughs> Sunday afternoon. How, how are you doing? Um, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I uh, followed up yesterday's debacle of a football game by day drinking and going to Top Golf today. Okay, nice. So uh, nice. can't really complain. Okay. Um, but to get back to this this football team, you know. A couple of weeks ago, I, I was half joking about, you know, my my buddy talk, telling me that I need to smile more, right, when we're, when we're doing this podcast. And that's um, getting more difficult every single week. And I'm going to do my best to smile a little bit in this podcast, but I cannot guarantee it because Jane Tech is now under 500. And if... Um, if the last three games haven't officially sealed it by the end of the season, then not sure there will be anything that will seal it. Uh, we are going to be covering a coaching search in the next uh, two to three months. Yeah. I mean, should we just quickly, I mean, some positives, Virginia Tech had 437 yards of offense, by far the best offensive performance this year. Malachi Thomas, freshman running back, uh, 21 carries, 151 yards, three touchdowns. Offensive line. Let me stop you there. Yep. Let me stop you there. Where in the hell has Malachi Thomas been? Why has this guy been stashed on the damn bench? I don't get it. Like, I haven't seen that kind of vision and elusiveness and tough running since, oh, I don't know, last year with Khalil Herbert. And you have a guy that can do a lot of the same things as Khalil Herbert, and he's riding the pine behind Jalen Holston. Yeah. Jalen Holston? And Raheem Blackshear, by the way, who Blackshear had a nice day yesterday, but. Yeah, like Come I'm on. not, I, I, I'm okay with Blackshear getting carries because he provides a different element of things. Me, t- me too. But, but how in the hell does Malachi Thomas basically get hidden for what six weeks, and then all of a sudden you decide to pull him out? I, I just, I, I don't understand that. Like, 
I know Syracuse's defense isn't very good, and Virginia Tech's offensive line had a really good day. Yeah, really good day yesterday. But at some point, like the way that Malachi played in this game, that doesn't look like a fluke. Right. Like I'm not going to say I'm not saying he's one of the best backs in the country, but he sure as hell looks like a back that can be productive. And the fact that he's just now getting some serious run in late October is ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. I I will say I, I thought uh, from the offensive line standpoint, you know, it, it's been an up and down year, but I thought from a run blocking standpoint, this is the best that Virginia Tech's offensive line performed in, in that regard all year. Uh, there, You could have driven a Mack truck through some of those holes that Malachi Thomas was running through. And in addition to that, like you mentioned, Malachi Thomas in the open field was making guys miss. He was running people over. He was getting yards after contact. We just haven't seen a lot of that this year, really at all. Um, you know, Raheem Blackshear, like you mentioned, he's been he's been good. I think Blackshear is a very good player, but this was by far the best performance we've seen out of a Virginia Tech running back this year, and it makes you wonder why we weren't giving him more carries. And really, oh, I don't get it. Yeah, I I don't get it either. So obviously that was that was the the bright spot for Virginia Tech yesterday was Malachi Thomas's performance for sure. Justin Fuente said in the postgame press conference, David Cunningham from Tech sideline asked him, um, you know, if he had more involvement in the offense this week, because it seemed like the offense had more of a spark than it had in recent weeks. Fuente said, yeah, he had more involvement than usual with the first team offense. Usually he's operating with a scout team offense against the first team defense. Said he had more involvement than usual with the first team offense. Ricky, I think that showed, you know, I, I really think that showed in this football game. Did I lose you? Yeah, I, I lost you for like the last 10 seconds. It's I didn't okay. hear a word. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> last thing I said was I really think that showed. I mean, that's great that Justin Fuente decided to spend some more time with the first team offense, but Fuente shouldn't have to spend more time with the first team offense for them to all of a sudden be able to run the football. Like that's like, I, I, it just doesn't make sense to me that you need the head coach to come in and kick everyone in the ass and, and, and teach them how to run block because clearly that he didn't help in the passing game, right? Braxton Burmeister was 10 of 20 um, did not look very good at all yesterday against Syracuse. You and I were talking about this before we got on the pod. He was five of his last 15 uh, which is absolutely horrendous. Um, but, it all I mean, you can make the flip side of the argument too, right? Whereas Justin Fuente wasn't preparing his first-team defense as much this week because he was spending less time with the scout team. And that also showed, yeah, right? Because this Virginia point. Tech defense had one of their worst performances of the season against an offense that coming into this had zero vertical threat whatsoever. That's a great they struggled point. to move the ball through the air and they struggled against both the run and the pass in this game. That's a great point. So let's push on that a little bit. Right. So I, I think, I think one way to look at this is uh, Fuente probably should have been more involved in the offense sooner, but on the flip side, Virginia Tech's defense should be able to also stand on its own and prepare without Fuente running the scout team offense as the head coach. Right. This was, a bad performance by Virginia Tech's defense yesterday. Syracuse came into this game averaging a shade over 400 yards per game of, of total offense. It went for 550 yesterday. 
Garrett Schrader had five touchdowns. Yeah. Five. This guy wasn't even a starter, what, four or five weeks ago? Yeah, about yeah, he's been a starter for a little over a month. Um, I just it doesn't make any sense to me. And in terms of Fuente having some success with the offense, all that shows me is that his two coordinators are clueless. Right. Right, right. I mean, Brad Cornelson finally gets some, you know, that basically has to be micromanaged for a week. And then all of a sudden, Virginia Tech has at least a modicum of, of offensive production. And then he leaves Justin Hamilton alone on the flip side of that. And all of a sudden, Justin Hamilton can't stop a terrible offense. So to me, that's pretty, that's pretty damning to both of those coordinators that it doesn't look like they're doing a very good job on either side of the football. Yeah, I mean... To, to the folks calling for a midseason firing with Fuente to promote Justin Hamilton as head coach, I think we can probably pump the brakes on that a little bit after yesterday. We can have a discussion at the end of this podcast if there is to be a midseason firing who should be taking over as the interim. Because honestly, I'm not sure that it matters all that much. But I will I'll put my foot down right now and say I don't think it should be Justin Hamilton. I don't think that he's earned a – a lengthy audition to try and be the head coach at the end of the season. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. We can, we can dive into that at the end. So let's kind of, let's kind of go back here to the, let's talk about the fourth quarter real quick of this football game. Right. So Virginia tech scores a touchdown uh, five play 69 yard drive took two minutes and 38 seconds off the clock. Malachi Thomas had a 47 yard touchdown run. Mm-hmm. One of Virginia tech's most explosive offensive plays of the season. Maybe the most explosive offensive play of the season. Um, third and one from the 47. It was the yeah. most explosive in a clutch situation for damn sure. For sure. Yeah. At great interior blocking there. Uh, Thomas went right up the middle untouched again, 47 yards for a touchdown. That was with 536 to play. Uh, ensuing kickoff, Virginia Tech allows Trevor Pena to return to kick 51 yards to the Virginia Tech 45. So let's set the stage here. Let, let's take a step back, right? Virginia Tech is up by nine after that Malachi Thomas touchdown run and the Romo extra point, right? They're up by nine. The score is 36 to 27 Virginia Tech with 536 to play. So immediately we're sitting here and we're saying, okay, we have seen this show before, right? Virginia Tech was up by eight against Notre Dame with around four minutes left. They're up by nine, a little bit different, two-score game. The argument we were having in the Notre Dame game was, should Tech have gone for two to make it a nine-point game? Turns out it doesn't really matter because Virginia Tech can't protect a nine-point lead either. So this is where, Ricky, if you take a step back, this is like a total system failure in the last 536, right? So you have a special teams debacle here where Pena returns the kick 51 yards to Virginia tech 45. And when you need a stop, right. When you need a stop, you got to keep Syracuse out of the end zone to really secure, help secure this win and, and keep them at arm's length. You allow a huge play on a kickoff on special teams. Right. And then essentially to fast forward, you allow Syracuse to march right up the field in less than three minutes and score off of a Garrett Schrader touchdown pass, 12 yard touchdown pass. Now this is, I mentioned this in the, in the preview with Billy Ray Mitchell from Sons of Saturday, who jumped on as a guest. I mentioned this in the preview. Garrett Schrader, not a prolific passer. Syracuse no. does not have a prolific passing attack, right? No. So Virginia Tech allows Syracuse to score on a passing play with 2.28 to go. 
Virginia Tech gets the ball back. We know the situation here. Virginia Tech's up by two, right? 36 to 34. Virginia Tech goes four plays, nine yards, one first down, punt. What does Syracuse do, Rick? Five plays, 70 yards in 45 seconds. I think they had, did they have one timeout or no timeouts left? I don't remember. I think they may have, may have had one timeout left. Regardless, you know, six, I'm sorry, six plays, 70 yards, 45 seconds, touchdown. And by the way, that was a 45-yard touchdown pass. They allowed Garrett Schrader, one of the worst passing quarterbacks in the ACC, to throw two touchdowns in the final five minutes of this football game. Syracuse, Syracuse, Syracuse scored 21 points in the fourth quarter. 21 in the fourth. Like that's, that's, it's just, it, it's, it, you know, it, it, it's so bad that it's, it's almost funny. Um, but this goes back to the, the old saying that bad teams find ways to lose football games. And three times this season in particular against uh, West Virginia, um, now, excuse me, West Virginia, Notre Dame, and Syracuse, Virginia Tech found a way to lose instead of finding a way to win. They they should have won all three of those games, and they didn't. And that's a hallmark of a bad football team. Yeah, I mean, worst-case scenario, win two out of three of those, right? They've lost all three. Um, this was... This was this game was particularly jarring, not because Virginia Tech blew another lead. Like, that's certainly a, a big part of it. But that wasn't as shocking to me as how this happened, right? Like, Virginia Tech knew coming into this football game that Syracuse wanted to run the football. And I thought at times... Everyone Tech, knew that coming in. And I thought Tech at times did an okay job bottling up Sean Tucker. The problem is they forgot to tackle Garrett Schrader. It was almost like Virginia Tech... They couldn't tackle anybody, Mike. It was like Virginia Tech's linebacking core was totally non-existent in this football game. It was, it was like Virginia Tech was playing 11 on 9, right, defensively. Well, I mean, Tech's, Tech's tackling, first of all, has been bad all season. I mean, they have, they have – we have witnessed guys most frequently, Dax Hollifield, flailing at, at ball carriers all season long. Yeah, um, open field tackling, major issue it, Yeah, it's, it's been it's been It's been really bad. We're seeing guys run themselves out of plays not having gap contained, not fitting their run, the run gaps. Um, there, it's just, it, it, it's absolutely mind-blowing to me that you can go week after week with many of these guys were recruited and coached by Bud Foster still. Right, right. And Bud was notorious for having a really good run defense more often than not. And these guys continue to lose gap integrity every single week. And I think the, the most disappointing part of this defensive performance for me, because I knew that Sean Tucker was going to be a problem. I, I thought that Garrett Trader's legs might be a problem, but Virginia Tech's secondary did not hold up on the back end. No. Virginia Tech tried to load up the box and play man-to-man more often than not. And yeah. more often than not, their DBs got beat. I mean, Dorian yeah. Strong rough probably game. had his worst performance as a Virginia Tech Hokie in this yeah, game. Yeah, rough game. Rough game for Dorian Strong. Um, yep. But it, it was it was everywhere. I mean, Breon Murray didn't look particularly great. Armani Chapman did not look great. Shamari Connor did not play well at all. And for a defense that was that has been pretty good on the back end this season to struggle so much especially in the second half and in the fourth quarter against a subpar quarterback 
a subpar receiving core. I mean, th- that's that's just not going to cut it, man. Like, and I know that the, the Justin Hamilton has done a pretty decent job for most of the season so far, but this performance felt like it erased a lot of that, at least in my eyes. This was like a year. This was exactly what we saw in, in 2020. This was like a 2020 defensive performance. Virginia Tech. Had and in Jermaine some ways Wall- it was, it would harken back to 2018, right? Yeah. Yeah. Jermaine, Jermaine Waller left this game early. He was clearly not hundred percent. He left the game and nobody picked up the slack, right? Uh, <laughs> strong was bad. Like you mentioned, uh, Chapman was bad. Like back end was not very good. And this is a, again, a Syracuse offense that prides itself on, on running the football. And you knew that coming into this football game, right? And I mean, this is a game where Virginia Tech allowed Garrett Schrader to run for 174 yards and three touchdowns. And it was clear Virginia Tech's defense, they were trying to key on Sean Tucker. He escaped for a couple of big runs, but they really, really, I mean, the, the, the part that stood out to me was the total inability to tackle Garrett Schrader. Like that was, that was what stood out, you know, um, Sean Tucker is going to get his to a degree. He had 112 yards on 20 carries. I was going to say they keyed in on him and he still had over a hundred and touchdown. Yeah. Like he's going to get his, but Garrett Schrader, 174 yards, three touchdowns. The, the more damning stat to me is the fact they threw for 236 and two scores and the explosive plays in the passing game came in the fourth quarter. I mean, this was Schrader's best passing game of the year. And you just can't let that happen. Andrew Alex has joined us from the phone. He's on his way back from a wedding. Andrew, we are uh, rehashing this debacle. Uh, what were what were your thoughts on, on this on this loss? Forty one thirty six. Here's what I'll say. And first of all, the keep the folks updated with where my mental state is. <laughs> I got like halfway, I, I, I got like 20 minutes out of Richmond and turned around. I'm like, I'm just going to stay here for the night. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I'm still in my, <laughs> still in my car. Uh, it's encapsulated with a moment from the wedding. And it was a hokey wedding. They wanted to leave to enter Sandman. There was orange and maroon pom-poms as the bride and groom left. And so you had all these hundreds of people set up and the bride and groom weren't there yet. And when we were supposed to be cheering, let's go Hokies, the first chant that actually got going was Fire Fuente. You had 200 people at a wedding cheering Fire Fuente. It, it, I mean, this is the straw that broke the camel's back in a lot of ways. And, you know, credit to Braxton Burmeister, Malachi, John, those guys like that. But when you say it was like 2020, I wouldn't go as, I guess, it's not extreme to say it was 2018s. You have that nine-point lead with two minutes left, but the way the defense was playing all game long, you still have this pit feeling in your stomach that things were going to go wrong. And for it to go wrong in the way that it did on a Hail Mary pass, final play, touchdown, not final play, but, you know, final drive, all they need to do is a field goal. They get a touchdown anyway. You knew you had to cover that part of the field. It just encapsulates everything that we've seen with the issues of 
non-complimentary, incomplete football throughout the Justin Fuente era. And uh, ultimately, I think it's the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, it's it's one of those things, too. It's like the last four minutes of this game featured a catastrophic-like play or multiple plays from each unit of the team. Special teams, obviously, with that kickoff where Virginia Tech's up by nine and they allow a huge kick return for Syracuse to get the orange in business near midfield when they're down two scores. You had the defense give up two touchdown receptions. You have the offense only pick up one first down when they needed two. It was a little bit of everything in this game, which was what was so alarming. And this is a Syracuse team that had lost 10 consecutive conference games coming in. This is a Syracuse team that converted four for four on, on fourth down in this game, seven of 16 on third down. Virginia Tech this year has allowed their opponents to go 12 of 15 on fourth down. That's inexcusable. They're converting, Virginia Tech opponents are converting fourth downs at an 80% clip. That's damning. You can, I mean, you just can't allow that to happen. And it, it goes back to our discussions that we've had on this podcast about situational football, right? Reason why Virginia Tech lost to West Virginia. What did we say, right? Situational football in the red zone and short yardage, right? Then there was the Notre Dame game. Why did Virginia Tech lose that game? Situational football. Can't get stops late. You don't, you don't make the defensive adjustments when Notre Dame brings Jack Cohn back into the game. You lose that one. Another close game here on Saturday. Situational football, right? Covering a kickoff, which is what you practice a billion times in practice. Can't cover a kick. You, you allow a quarterback who hasn't thrown for more than 150 yards all season to throw for 236, including two touchdowns on the final two possessions of the game when you needed stops. You know, offensively, you need two first downs. You can only pick up one. You run four offensive plays on your final offensive drive of the game for as good as the offense was all day. Virginia Tech had their best offensive output of the season. 436 yards of offense and 36 points should get the job done. That should get the job done. And it didn't on Saturday. We've talked about the defense all year long, right? The defense has kept Virginia Tech in games. Virginia Tech's defense let the team down on Saturday. But I think what was even more disappointing was the fact that Virginia Tech's offense, knowing the struggles that the defense was having all game long, wasn't able to convert a first down when they needed it. So offense played well, certainly not without blame, though, here. I'm over it, boys. <laughs> that's all. I mean, I, I think that that's, I think we've hashed out this game about as much as it's worth hashing out, right? We're not going to, we're not going to find any particular trends or areas for growth that are going to be realized by the end of the season. Yeah. This team is, is what it is at this point. And they're not going to get any better, I don't think. And um, that's why last week felt like such a – it was so disheartening because you knew that that was basically the beginning of the end for the season. And then yesterday was the final, yep, this season is just about finished in terms of uh, trying to realize your goals at the end of the season. So uh, Virginia Tech now stands at three and four, and the Coastal Division looks like it's just about all wrapped up for the Panthers. And um, I know some people have said that the schedule is going to be a little bit easier for Virginia Tech moving forward, but I'm not really buying it. Um, 
They've got four out of their next five on the road. They've got two long trips to uh, BC and Miami. Miami just beat NC State. Um, Virginia is going to be a huge problem at the end of the season. I mean, there isn't a game left on the schedule where I think Virginia Tech is going to be favored by more than three points. Duke, they might be favored by by, by a few, but everything else is going to be either a pick them or, 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 or definitely underdogs. And we're at the point now where bowl eligibility for the second straight season looks like it's going to be out the window. All right. So let me, let's, let's go here. Let's go here next. Uh, Andrew, I will start with you. Do you believe that Virginia tech? Well, I'll ask two questions. Do you believe Virginia tech will make an in-season coaching change? And do you believe that they should? You know, I, I don't believe that they will make an in-season coaching change, but I do believe that they should. I think that the financial bottom line is, I mean, it's a compelling argument. I think that's what Virginia Tech is going to turn to. They're going to let Justin Fuente see this thing through. I think that when Whit Babcock made his vote of confidence speech in Justin Fuente, you know, last December 16th or whatever it may be, when he didn't make a coaching change, as you said at the time, he realized that he – or kind of acknowledged that he was tying his legacy to Fuente in some way. I think he's going to allow him to see the season through, but at the end of the day, I think that from a program perspective, this thing is bottoming out, and there is no coming back from this. I had a friend yesterday who was telling me, you know, Justin Fuente might as well resign because he knows he's not going to make his way through the season. I'm like, obviously that's not going to happen. But at the end of the day, that's the situation. If a change is inevitable, shouldn't you make the change? Get, go ahead, get in front of the coaching market and say, Virginia Tech position is available and work from there. Because who knows who else is going to have a vacancy on December 15th? We already know high-profile jobs, LSU, USC, are out there on the table. What else is going to become open? We know Miami has a good chance of becoming open. I mean, obviously they won on Saturday, but Manny Diaz's future there is, you know, far from certain, and there could Murphy, be other positions yeah. as well. So I think Virginia Tech should. I, I This season is kind of a lost cause already. We've – the fan base has thrown in the towel. I don't even want to – see what the Duke game crowd is like and like Ricky said all these games are going to be Virginia Tech's an underdog or or a toss-up and there's a certain level of the human element in this and if the players know the writing's on the wall at a certain point it's hard to emotionally keep buying in at the extent that it is required to be a successful division one college football player that comprises a functional division one college football program. Maybe that change, at least for the rest of the season could give the little bit of a jolt that is needed to, you know, sneak into bowl eligibility. I don't know, but all I do know is Justin Fuente is not going to be the head coach of Virginia tech next year. If Whit Babcock is competent at his job and cares about the future of the athletic department's, most important program and Virginia Tech's most storied program. So I don't think they will, but I think they absolutely should. What about you, Rick? 
Um, I don't think that they will unless you have some serious locker room issues. I don't think that you should. And the only reason is that two and a half million that you're going to save by waiting until December 16 can be used on the next staff. Um, I think that that's going to be vitally important to try and recruit a good head coach, to recruit good coordinators, good assistants. I think if you can save that two and a half million, I think you got you you have to do it. Virginia Tech's not a department that's rolling in cash. They could certainly benefit from that. If if things get really ugly inside, I mean, the, the on-field product is already ugly, right? So the on-field product can't get much worse. Sure, Tech can go out there and get blown out by 30 every game, but unless you've got issues in the locker room where um, like guys are straight up quitting or you have, you know, outbursts or altercations in the locker room. I think you have to keep this staff together and just ride it out to the end of the season. Um, no coaching change is going to revive this year. This year's done in terms of Virginia Tech's long, you know, in, in terms of their goals at the end of the season. Um, a a midseason change might give them a jolt to get to a bowl game, but I'm not sure that that is really all that important given what you would lose on the front end or on the back end of that with the two and a half million. I will say this, and Mike, I said this before, Andrew wasn't on the pod when I said it, but I'll say it again. If you are going to make a midseason coaching change, Justin Hamilton has not earned that title. I, I think Justin's a great guy. I think he has a future, but I don't think that future is going to be in Blacksburg. I, his time as a defensive coordinator has been very up and down. Yesterday's performance against Syracuse was very, very damning as far as I'm concerned. And I think you'd be better off giving the job to someone like John Tenuta, who obviously would not come back next year, right? I don't think that he's going to be coming back to be a defensive analyst for a staff that he's not familiar with. Um, but you give it to someone who's an old head, someone who can just guide you through the rest of the season, someone who's been on enough staffs that they know how to handle things like this. And then you just cut bait at the end of the year and move on. Um, so that's, that's about where I stand on everything. Yeah. My, my, Mike, what about this, you? Yeah. My, my thought on this is, uh, is I don't think they will make an in-season coaching change. Um, and the only way I think that they should is if uh, the team quits, right? Like, we can say a lot about Tech yesterday, didn't play well, lost the game. The, the team's still playing hard. Team's not playing well. Team's still playing hard, though, right? Yes. Um, so, like, if the team quits on the staff, yeah, make a change, right? Because then the team, the, team, the players, then are, are giving up, right? So, who ca- at that point, who cares, right? A big reason why I don't think 
that coaching changes in season make a lot of sense is because I think like I disagreed with the way USC handled the Clay Helton thing because they fired him after two games. And I was like, okay, why didn't you just fire him after last season? Because now you've quit two games into this season on these kids, right? Who are yep, playing yeah. hard, practicing hard, have put their heart and soul into all the summer workouts and fall camp and everything else. And you, and you quit on it that early, right? I, I don't agree. That's why I don't agree with in-season coaching changes. Now, if the team quits, sure, make, make the change. It doesn't make a difference at that point if the team's not playing hard, right? But we've seen the team continue to play hard, so I don't think there's any reason to make the in-season coaching change. The other part of it is the $2.5 million discussion, right? And again, if the team is playing hard, I think it's worth it to keep that $2.5 million until December 15th. Why? Because I think Whit Babcock can do the work that he needs to do in the background as far as Intel is concerned for a next head he, coach. He had already be doing it. I mean, I'm well, sure he let's, is. Let's put that out now, right? Whit Babcock better be putting out feelers already. Right, right. So I think that Whit Babcock can back-channel this thing enough, and um, I, I don't think they're in a, they're in a position here where uh, – you know, that they need to absolutely fire him in order for Whit Babcock to do what he needs to do to try to see who would be interested in being the next Virginia Tech head coach, right? I think Babcock has been in this business long enough and he knows enough people and he's uh, well-connected enough that he can make these types of moves. I mean, hell, remember when Justin Fuente was hired? Justin Fuente was on a plane in the middle of the night to meet with Bud Foster and nobody knew about it until after Fuente was already hired. Whit Babcock has worked quietly in the background before, right? Like we've seen that happen. Now, again, we knew that Beamer was retiring already, but point being, nobody knew about that. Not a single person knew that that was happening until after Fuente was already hired. So Whit can back channel this thing. And um, I, I don't think that firing Fuente in the in the middle of the season precludes him from doing the work that he needs to do to figure out who's going to be coaching uh after Justin Fuente um and I mean as far as the interim head coach thing is concerned it at that point I don't think it really matters who the who the interim is right because in my in my scenario right in my mind the only way you make a change mid-season is if the kids are quitting if the kids are quitting it doesn't matter who's coaching at that point the season's over doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You can you can put out whoever whoever you want to. It it doesn't it doesn't make a difference because you're quitting on the season. Kids have quit on the season already, in my mind. So it doesn't really matter who the uh, who the interim is. I will say the uh, the whole like we want to fire Fuente and make Justin Hamilton the head coach. I thought that was ridiculous to begin with, and I think it's even more ridiculous now after seeing kind of how up and down this has been. Again, by and large, the Intex defense has been fine this year, but that was an inexcusable performance on Saturday. And Hamilton is Hamilton is making, I, I thought last year made some schematic errors, you know, and again, impossible off season. I get it, you know, really hard to implement a scheme, but I think he should have simplified some things. I think he was learning on the fly and the kids were certainly learning on a fly too, but I think Hamilton is making some schematic errors uh, from, and again, it's not consistent game over game, but you're, we're seeing it crop up enough that a young coordinator is going to make who has never been a head coach. Why would, why would Virginia tech, why would Whit Babcock whose job is on the line with this type of hire, right? The next football coach hire, why would he hire a guy who has a year and a half of real power five coordinator experience and no head coaching experience. I don't think that's the right move for Virginia tech at this time. I think if you're four or five years down the road, sure. But I don't think that's the right hire for tech right now. 
Couldn't agree more. Andrew, Rick, who do you think it would be? It, I mean, if they make a midseason coaching change, though, and it's not going to be Justin Hamilton, and I'm, I mean, like, let's state the obvious, it's not going to be Brad Cornelson. Like, which, by the way, I think if they do fire Fuente, Cornelson goes with him. Yeah. Who steps into that role? I, I, I'm just curious because, I mean, there is a chance that tomorrow we get a news flash that says Justin Fuente is fired. I don't, again, I don't think it's going to happen, but it could. Who would be that? replacement who would you bet because if we're talking about it again soon we'll already know at that point so make a prediction if anyone who i think if they did make the i think (laughs) if they did make the change it would be justin hamilton um i will continue stumping for john tenuta and in until it happens or we get to the end of the season i he has been around the block more times than just about anybody in the sport if there's anyone that can guide you through a midseason coaching change and trying to keep everyone together and keep things from getting really ugly, it's him. Um, he obviously has an emotional connection to the team because his son plays for the team, and he wants his son to have as good of a college experience as humanly possible. So that's the direction I would go in. Uh, I could see Vance Vice getting getting tapped for this. Um I could maybe see Bill Tierlink getting tapped for this just because he has NFL experience and you already have basically two defensive line coaches on the staff as it is. Um, I, I really hope that we don't get to that point because again, I think it's really important that tech save that two and a half million by waiting until December 16. But um, who knows, man? I mean, that's, there's a reason why I haven't started writing about this game yet because I wanted to see how today played out. We're recording this on Sunday night, and so far there hasn't been anything breaking that we're going to get uh, an announcement tomorrow that Fuente is gone. I think if that if it was going to happen tomorrow, I think it would have been broken already. Um, so I, I, I think we're fine for this week, but we're at the point now where – it, it, it could happen at any moment if Virginia Tech keeps losing. I mean, they've, yeah. you know, if if they go out there and lose to BC or Miami by a ton or, God, if they go out there and get blown out by Duke at in their last home game, I mean, that would be pretty fitting. Um, so, yeah, it, it's just – I don't know, man. I, I really don't want to get to that point, but we're we're on the brink of, of it happening for sure. Yeah, I think it would be Hamilton, but I, I don't think they'll make the change unless the team quits. So, it's bad. I mean, where are you, where are you guys at with this? Virginia Tech has Georgia Tech next Saturday. I mean, we'll, we'll do a preview here in a couple of days, but... I don't know what to even say at this point. I mean, we can preview, we can preview the, in my opinion, we can preview these games all we want, but at the end of the day, like game to game, it's just like a different schematic, like breakdown or a a different, like different situational. That's what's so frustrating, Mike, is that the season is over. Effectively speaking, it was effectively over last week against Pittsburgh. And we've got just under half the season left. Yeah. And again, getting through I think... these games is going to be hard. And yeah, you know, all three of us are obviously fans of the program that, that that's, that's obvious. Right. Um, I feel for a fan base 
that has nothing left to look forward to for the next month and a half. Yeah. I mean, this is tough. I mean, this is, uh, this is tough to use, to use a Justin Fuente line, like nobody's dying. Right. But, (laughs) but in terms of, in terms of like your, you know, your, your sports fandom and, and that realm of your life, this is as bad as it gets yeah. to know that you've got no hope for the next month and a half. Yeah. I mean, I picked Syracuse to win this game. I thought Saturday. Tech was going to win this game. Yeah. So I picked Cuse, but I didn't see it happening quite like this. I guess it was still in a way, again, I, like when you take a step back, it's like, all right, not surprising. We've seen Virginia Tech do that this year. We've seen him lose a million close games under Fuente, right? We've seen this happen. This isn't like jarring news, but at the same time, it's just like, man, you've done this twice in three weeks, like, like twice in three weeks, you blow an eight point lead and a nine point lead in a three, in a, in a, oh, two week period, you know, in a, in a, uh, you know, sandwich in between is the blowout to Pittsburgh, right? So twice in three weeks is bad. I mean, I, I don't know how you do that twice. And it was like a very similar type scenario, at least in the Notre Dame game, it was like, all right, they scored, they went for two, like, okay, like really athletic plays were made by Notre Dame. And it was an eight-point game instead of nine. But to give up two touchdowns, you give up a touchdown and field goal against Notre Dame, right? This game, you give up two touchdowns to a far inferior offense to Notre Dame's. Unbelievable. I mean, I guess I feel like we have done the same podcast like over and over and over again through the course of this tenure with Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech. But today does definitively feel like it's indisputably over. It's done. Yeah. Yeah, season, I don't think I, I don't think over. there's any They're not going to win out. Back. No, no shot. It, like, no shot. It's, it's like, done. It's, it's toast. So yeah. it's done. Now we have to look forward. And what sucks about that is it makes the remaining games on the schedule, like even in like 2018, right, when they were bad, but you wanted to preserve the bowl streak and you wanted to preserve the UVA streak. And it felt like you had things going for you. It's like now you want Virginia Tech to win. As an alumni and as a fan, these games matter. But ultimately, you know that most of the good players are going to hit the transfer portal or go to the NFL after the season with the coaching change. And, you know, this thing is going to have to be built from the ground up. So in terms of you know, my degree of apathy and keep in mind, I'm, I'm a sports dog radio host in Blacksburg. Like obviously, I'm always going to care. But for – you know, the average alum who's, you know, cued into the program and, and kind of a big, like a, a big fan, but, you know, not three dudes who do a podcast about it. It's like, there ain't all that much reason to care other than rooting for your school, because at the end of the day, this thing starts from the ground in, in December or, or obviously possibly sooner. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's disappointing. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a really interesting time, though, right? And I, you know, it'll be interesting to see kind of what, what happens here from the standpoint of who the candidates are and the lists and everything else. And people will have, you know, it'll, you, we're going to be hearing like the same five candidates, but it'll be interesting. I bet, I bet neither of you have thought about the two candidates that I'm thinking of right now. Okay, well, let's. Let's dive into that. We have time. 
All right. So, so the, the, these two candidates I have come to, I'm not like stumping for either of these, but I think they're both out of the box hires. That would be very interesting and obviously possibly successful. And I will take no credit for coming up with these selections because this was uh, kind of throwing around some ideas with a friend group of mine. Number one is Byron Leftwich, who is the offensive coordinator for the like Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh-huh. Obviously a younger guy, someone who would probably be able to relate with recruits. Um, working with Tom Brady has got to be one of the best uh, resume pieces you can possibly have. Uh, this offense in Tampa is doing incredible things at the moment. That NFL experience, the experience working with the greatest player to ever play football. Um, not sure you can get much greater than that. Obviously, the playing experience is, is valuable as well. Sticking with the – to go to the college ranks, um, Tim Beck, who is the offensive coordinator at NC State, someone who has a plethora of experience – if you go back and look at his resume, his offenses have usually put up points where he's been. Um, he's from kind of the the you know mid Atlantic South part of the country. Uh, has that ACC coaching experience. Um, comes from the Power Five. Has been in a lot of Power Five programs. I think that wouldn't be a bad hire either. Andrew, thoughts on candidates? If you've gotten that far. I just really, really want Dave Clawson, the experience that yes. he had at Richmond, the way yeah. that he's built a football program. I mean, obviously, I think Virginia Tech as a destination, as a, you know, a prestige program is bigger than Wake. And what he's doing at Wake is, you know, despite of Wake Forest football, so much credit to him and his staff for what they built there. I think he's kind of topped that out. He could bring Virginia Tech to new heights. If they could make that, you know, cross-conference snag and bring Dave Clawson to Blacksburg, I'd be very happy about it. Though I would caution, uh, you know, fans to – it'd be a rebuild that might take a couple of years. He's a big, you know, let's redshirt these guys. And He's a big development guy. Yeah, huge. Yep. Huge. I mean, Fuente Which always says – Which I'm totally fine with. No, no, no. I mean, Fuente always says, I want this to be the best developmental program in the country. I think if you actually want that, I think you hire Dave Clawson. I just don't know if Dave Clawson is interested. Right. I. That's the thing, right? There's, there's a number I, of candidates. I love Dave Clawson. I just don't know if he's attainable. So I have talked to, uh, I've talked to Connor O'Neill about this. Connor O'Neill writes for Wake Forest rival site. I've had him on my ACC podcast before talking about Dave Clawson and one of the things that Connor has said, and he covers he covers Wake every day, right? So one of the things he said about Dave Clawson is that the reason why Clawson hasn't jumped to bigger jobs is he likes the idea, and, and this is why also I think he would be a fit in Blacksburg. He likes the idea of being able to be uh, the head coach of a football program and be able to lead a group of intelligent young men every day at a very academically based institution that Wake Forest is, right? But at the same time, still have the anonymity, and, and he wouldn't have the anonymity in Blacksburg, and he does, I don't think he really has anonymity at, in Winston-Salem either, but have the ability to, to go out to a local restaurant, right, and be able to eat with his family and not have it be like the biggest story in town. Like it would be at like LSU or Gainesville at Florida or Alabama with Saban. Right. And I think he could have that in Blacksburg. Right. I mean, think about, 
think Fuentes about Frank talked Beamer. about how you know he goes out. I mean, he goes out with his family all the time in town, and right, and people leave him alone because right. you know they're you know not that because they don't like him. Obviously, a lot of people don't like him right now, but right, right, right. this was happening in 2016 and 2017 where folks were just leaving him alone and letting him live his life. Because that's kind of the culture in Blacksburg. It is. It's, so I think from that standpoint, it would be a really good fit. You know, um, Connor O'Neill said that he thought that Clawson, if he were to ever make a jump, it would be to another like really academically centric institution. Now, Virginia Tech is obviously a very good school, but what he was meaning by that was like brilliant, like Stanford, Notre Dame, like those types of those types of schools where it's like the best of the best from an academic, like best and the brightest from an academic standpoint. Um because he's learned how to, how to win in that environment. And, but, but with that being said, like Virginia Tech's a, it's a good school. It's academic, academically challenging, but you can get a caliber of athlete at Virginia Tech that I don't think you can necessarily get at Wake Forest too. So what he's built, the way he's developed the program, his personality, I think would be a really good fit in Blacksburg. And I I think that if he put together a staff and, I think you'd, you'd be able to hold over some guys from this staff, former players, stuff like that, if you wanted them in recruiting-type positions. Um, I, I think you would be able to turn things around quickly and really develop the program. I think Virginia Tech would be better coached uh, by by a guy like Dave Clawson. So I really like the idea of Clawson uh, more than I like – you know, a, a Marcus Freeman, you know, I've heard Marcus Freeman from Notre Dame, but he's got no head coaching experience. Right. So that's always a risk. There's, you know, Billy Napier at Louisiana is a hot candidate, but I watched him decide to take a safety intentionally in a game last year in order to punt the ball back. This was against app. I want to say, I can't remember, but it was one of the dumbest coaching decisions I've ever seen. Um, I'll I'm also very skeptical about going the group of five route again. Yes. Yeah, um, me too. Yeah, those guys, those guys have had some success elsewhere, but it feels like more often than not, it doesn't go particularly well. I could be wrong on that, but that's just kind of the feeling that I've gotten from paying attention to the college landscape. Um, I know I'm, I'm big on Dave Claus and I think that would be a terrific hire. Um, I think all three of us would agree that Luke fickle is not coming to Blacksburg. I mean, there any, should be everybody, no. everybody's number one choice. I mean, he would be my number one choice too. I just don't think it's realistic. He's going to be, he's being targeted by top just, three and four so, jobs. So fans can go ahead and leave him off the list. I just he's don't not, think it happens. He's not coming to Blacksburg. So let's just nip that in the bud right now. Three years ago, maybe. Yeah. Now, absolutely not. No shot. No shot it happens. Doesn't mean you don't try to pursue him and see if he's interested, but I just don't think he'll be interested. I mean, the thing that – and here's what I think we should do, guys. I think that now that we've declared this thing to be over, over the course of the next few weeks, whether Justin Fuente gets fired midseason or not, we go through a couple of these major candidates and talk about pros and cons for them. I, I think that would be something fun that we could do. But one more pro I do like about Dave Clawson is – he already has a lot of experience recruiting the area, Virginia, North Carolina. Obviously, he was the head coach at Richmond years ago and had tremendous success doing that. Uh, I believe Mike London, after Clawson had left the next year, led a Clawson-recruited team to an FCS national championship. Uh, but one thing that ultimately was Justin Fuentes' downfall, or part of it, was the failure to 
really make inroads in the way that Frank Beamer and his staff had over the course of the 20 previous years, Dave Clawson, you know, would be able to just pick up right where he left off. But maybe with a program like Virginia Tech, a bigger name brand in the state and slightly more credibility. I agree. No, I think it would be a very good hire. I wonder, I do wonder if he's on Witt's list. I mean, I guess we'll find out <laughs> at some point. I, I don't think we'll ever find out who's on Witt's list, but if, I mean, if he's hired, obviously he was on the list. So We'll hear a lot of names, um, and folks should be careful about buying all of those names as legitimate candidates. You're going to see some smoke and things like that. Um, but I really do hope that, that Clawson is on the list. Um and I would, I'd be, I'd be absolutely over the moon if Virginia Tech was able to pull him. Um, but I think folks need to be careful about demanding a Power Five head coach because Virginia Tech, let's face it, has fallen as a program in terms of its level of prestige, and this job is no longer as attractive as it was um, several years ago. So while. Virginia Tech should still aim to get the best coach that's available that is interested. Um, demanding a power five coach seems a bit unrealistic. Virginia Tech may have to go with a coordinator from a power five program or a head coach from a group of five program. Yeah, I, I'm just not sure. I'm with you, Rick. I'm not sure I want to go the group of five route again. Because yeah, I'm not I, I'm not a big fan of it. Um, I think I think being in the power five is just different. And there are different challenges that you have to overcome. There are different lessons that you learn being in a power five program. I don't think that you get those types of things being in the group of five. There are obvious uh, examples of group of five coaches that have done terrific jobs elsewhere. Um, but I think more often than not, those have not worked out particularly well. The only guy I would hire from the group of five, and it goes without saying, is Luke Fickle, but I don't think it's happening. I, there's just no shot. I mean, he's he's the one guy I would hire from the group of five, but it's just not realistic. So, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Guys, anything I else? Think, I, I think uh, at some point in the season, we should each come with a list of five candidates, um, and we can rank them. And and we'll, we'll have to put some, style Mount Rushmore. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And yeah. we'll have to put to we'll have to put some thought into it so that way our lists aren't the same, so we can come up with some with some cool ideas. But um, I, I do think that would be a good usage of one of our second of the week podcasts, uh, rather than previewing or spending a ton of time previewing games that, quite frankly, don't matter. Um, we can start to look ahead because this this train is obviously coming to and coming to a stop um, at the latest December 16th. That's all I got. Yeah. Yep. I'm good. Um, Andrew, be safe on your way back whenever you decide to come back to Blacksburg. <laughs> That'll be in the morning, 6 a.m. Um, <laughs> uh, rate review, subscribe. Um, enjoy your weekends not in Blacksburg now that there is four out of the next five on the road so all you all you techies that go to the, all the games or go to a lot of games you're gonna have to find something else to do for the next month and a half um, but yeah enjoy your weekends Andrew, stay safe on Halloween uh, stupid Andrew who are we presented by 
Uh, we're presented by Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the pharmacy you want to go to. If you want a pharmacy that truly cares about you, be a neighbor, not a number, and look no further. The Main Street Pharmacy, Dr. Jeremy Counts, and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. Sorry, missed the beginning. Had to throw that in the end. Uh, and shout out to the Overholters. Uh, fantastic wedding I attended this weekend with, uh, you know, some, truly some of the best friends I have in the world. And, you know, had the opportunity to speak at the wedding and, and all that. And a big old fun hokey wedding. Time of my life. So shout out to those people and shout out to uh, all the great people I saw there. The little college reunion action for me. So it was a real blast. And now I'm more tired than I've ever been in my entire life. Beautiful. Ricky, what do you got? One more thing. We didn't even touch on this on the podcast, but those uniforms. Oh, fire. Unreal. Unreal. Fire, 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 fire. fire. Make them the real uniform. Yes. I want to see them next year every game. Those were absolutely outstanding. They would look great in all maroon. They would look great with the maroon helmet and white, white. Uh, bring them back and just don't don't blow this. This is the easiest slam dunk opportunity to make fans happy. Throw something shiny in front of their face and make them smile. Give them give them the uniforms next year. This is an easy decision. There's there's no way that you can mess this up by going back to those unis, they were, they were phenomenal. Agree. And I would like to amend my statement from earlier in the podcast. There were two bright spots yesterday, Malachi Thomas <laughs> and the uniforms. Yeah. We'll talk to you. We'll talk to you guys on the Georgia tech preview. Go Hokies. <laughs> <laughs>